0: This is the In Focus Podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus Podcast with me, K. Bharat Kumar. The banking sector in India has witnessed a return to relatively good health over the past few years. With more stringent norms set by regulator RBI, NPAs or non-performing assets have declined and bank balance sheets have shed much of their baggage of bad loans. Is this trend here to stay? Also, as the country emerged from the pandemic and economic growth picked up, banks also saw healthy credit growth. Deposit growth, though, has not kept pace. Is this a cause for concern? To help us understand where the banking sector in India stands today as we approach budget day for the 2023 24 fiscal, we have with us Mr. Anil Gupta. Senior Vice President and Co-Group Head, Financial Sector Ratings at Rating Agency, ICRA. Mr. Gupta, thank you for being with us here today. Really appreciate your creating time for this.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me.
0: You know, I do have some specific questions around certain metrics of the uh, uh, banking sector as we go into the uh, what could likely be the final full budget for this uh, government before it hits the elections in 2024. But before that, would you like to give a certain a wrap uh, a roundup of how you see the banking sector in India is probably a you know,
1: view. overview yeah I think uh, maybe if I have to go back into my memories uh, for last 15 to 16 years I think uh, this is the best uh, time for the banking sector I would have seen personally in terms of maybe the uh, the profitability or the credit cost uh, so uh, growth numbers yes uh, we are almost at a decade and high uh, though uh, a strong credit growth uh, is typically, let's say, it's taken favorably, but a very, very high credit growth is also maybe a, something which uh, gives a pain, asset quality pain later. So it's a healthy growth, I'll say. A healthy growth in um, the credit margin expansion, margin improvement is also quite good for the sector, and the banks are able to internally generate capital for the growth. So. All those things are quite positive, um, I think, uh, for the banking sector now. Excellent.
0: So you talked about the last 15, 16 years, um, and I'm sure we have seen the, you know, the cadence, both the rise and uh, the fall of uh, the problem of NPS. Yeah. Uh, if I have to, you, you talked about this decade and a half overview that you gave us. Is this problem generally cyclical to the Indian economy? You know, as the economy, um, you know, economic cycles also... Uh, is something that we are used to. So as the economy goes up and comes down, does this keep pace with such a rise and trough, uh, or uh, this is something that can be addressed once and for all, and like we have an inflation target, uh, for example, as a percentage rate, the RBI is given a mandate saying you know no more than 6%, and even if in unforeseen circumstances, like what we have now, it's driven up, then it is accountable. So do you have a view on this? with
1: regard to NPS for the banking Sure, sure. I think though you are correctly saying that uh, the problem is cyclical, so maybe prior to uh, the retail asset quality challenge, which we saw in 2008, 2009, prior to that, it was corporate. And then later we saw it was uh, after the retail uh, in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, we had the corporate asset quality pin uh, coming in so when the corporate asset quality pain was cleaning up let's say by march 2020 uh, we had covid and covid gave uh, more pain to the uh, retail segment in terms of asset quality for the banks so yes it is cyclical uh, but however well, like i will say maybe few things which have changed in last maybe uh, two decades uh, which gives certain more confidence uh, to us in terms of maybe asset quality so one is basically the restructuring uh which is no longer available with the banks so you don't uh, restructure the loans uh, whether under CDR or otherwise uh the IBC framework which is there uh, and uh, the outcomes which we have seen in last couple of years whereby we have seen that uh the even the big so-called big promoters have ended up losing their uh, companies uh, or the crown jewels. So basically, to that extent, there will be some sanity in terms of maybe the leveraging which the uh, promoters uh, are willing to take uh, and uh, because then there is a threat of uh, real loss uh, of the ownership in the company. And uh, uh, if the leverage is controlled or is managed, uh, then uh, what we are seeing is maybe a relatively a well-managed uh, trade cycle on the corporate side. So that is one institutional reform which we think has happened, uh, uh, a big thing, which should act as a deterrent for the uh, corporate corporates to over-leverage and then in turn give a pain to the banking sector. On the retail side, yes, there has been a, a very strong penetration of the credit bureaus uh, and uh, with the uh, advent of digital underwriting tools where you can have multiple inputs, not only the credit Bureau score, but multiple, multiple inputs uh, and that too in a very short span of time. So the ability to uh, underwrite digitally uh, and uh, taking a calculated risk so has significantly improved for the Indian lenders. So that way uh, there has been uh, a lot of improvement on the retail side also and uh, because of covid whatever were the borrowers who were marginal borrowers who possibly were relatively more exposed have also fallen off so uh, that way there is a lot of confidence in terms of uh, uh, retail and corporate asset quality to hold up in the coming years uh, yes uh, we when we uh, recently did our webinar the uh, and we conducted few polls uh, the market expectation was that the MSME will be one uh, segment which will give the pain to the banking sector. Uh, however, there also what we are seeing is that uh, with the increasing, uh, uh, you can say, formalization of these MSMEs getting into a GST embed where uh, most of the transactions are also getting routed through banking system. So, ability of the banks to take a maybe a calculated call in terms of MSME underwriting has also improved. So yes, uh, we have to uh, go a little bit more in terms of our uh, maybe improving improving the ability of the MSME underwriting, but definitely uh, the positives which are counted on the retail and corporate are definitely good for the banking sector. So I'll say we have moved from the cyclical uh, times to maybe uh, relatively... Or maybe the cyclicality will be there, but maybe the peaks and troughs will not be that high, as we saw in the past.
0: Oh, that's absolutely good. So it I probably, uh, you know, negates my next question, but I'm just still curious. So with the norms that have come in and the red flags that seem to be raised very early on uh, for banks, and it could be the prompt corrective action framework that they've put in and the asset quality reviews. And the uh, uh, norms for actual classification of NPAs, depending on the age and so on. Uh, do you think that you know the problem? I, I know you talked about improvement of the MSME sector, but has the problem at least been diagnosed so that we know this is what the fix is? So, or is there a time possibly in the future when you say you know these are things that one cannot you know estimate? These are things that will always happen, and hence NPAs have gone up again. You think? that is a possibility or do you think you know we've got what it takes to fix NPA to a certain level for the entire bank?
1: No, I think on the recognition side, definitely a lot of a lot of regulatory tightening has happened in the last um, uh, few years. So starting from maybe the asset quality review, which started in 2016, where a lot of these corporates uh, were uh, eventually uh, classified into the NPA segment. Uh, the second leg of maybe the uh, the tightening on the asset quality happened not for so much for the banks, but maybe for the non-banks uh, by maybe aligning uh, the uh, NPAs in the uh, NBFC sector uh, with the banking sector. So uh, that way, uh, let's say an uh, overdue borrower, which has been NPA, uh, unless the entire overdues are repaid by that borrower, the non-banks typically are not now not allowed to upgrade those borrowers from a NPA to a performing uh, borrower. So tightening on the asset quality side has uh, started. And I think uh, if you look at the uh, recent uh, discussion paper by the Reserve Bank of India, which has proposed uh, maybe migration of the banks on expected credit loss, uh, which which means that maybe uh, banks in, let's say, a couple of years should transition to uh, expected great loss based provisioning uh, similar to what nbfc's have been doing for last three to four years so in that case uh, the provisioning uh, for uh, writing a risky loan will be upfront, uh, which has to be made by the bank unlike uh, the current approach for the banks where the provisioning on the risky loans comes after the account has turned in pa so that way, uh, not only the uh, the norms for the recognition of NPA have been tightened, we are also talking about maybe uh, a provisioning uh, which should be coming up front rather than later when the account has started. So that way there has been a very prudent uh, developments from the regulatory side to recognize the stress up front and provide it up front. So balance sheets should look more cleaner and more stronger, in our view. Yes, when these banks transition uh, to expected loss uh, framework, uh, which we expect should happen by April of 2025, the opening balance sheet should be on ECL basis. Uh, There could be a one-time pain for certain banks uh, because of the uh, provisioning which they are currently carrying versus the provisioning which will be required under uh, expected uh, credit loss framework.
0: But if we still stay at the 30,000-foot uh, view level, I understand that any business must be prepared for some loss, uh, client, indiscipline, right. or fraud, or you know, promoter's own uh, understanding of the uh, sector as they grow in the company. So for, bank, for the banking sector, what is an acceptable net NPA rate? Is that sub-5% or sub-3%? Do you have a thumb rule that you could share with us?
1: So, uh, uh, rather than the uh, NPA numbers, uh, which can be maybe impacted because of, let's say, the loan write-off, uh, I'll say a credit cost number, which is a provision which a bank has to take, uh, will be a more reflective of the uh, risk the bank is taking. Because uh, once you write-off, uh, it does flow into your provisions, but your NPA numbers look low. Uh, but just to give, a, uh, I'll, I'll just go back slightly. And... Uh, uh, the business loss, or let's say uh, which you are talking about what should be the acceptable risk uh, for a bank uh, this will be uh, dependent on the segment which the uh, lender is operating in. so a lender which is operating in a riskier segment let's say microfinance loans which has a uh, higher uh, uh, profitability margins uh, but also higher risk uh, so there the credit cost uh, uh, maybe which uh, typically a lender should build in over a cycle should be not less than two to three percent of the advances. But let's say if you are uh, operating in a relatively more secured asset class, like a housing loan or a gold loan, there the credit cost should basically over the cycle should not be, let's say, exceeding maybe half a percent. So it will depend on the uh, the business segment where you are operating. Uh, that uh, you decide on the acceptable level of risk. But if we have to talk about a bank, let's say, which is homogeneous, present across maybe corporates, MSME, retail segments. So typically, when we look at the, let's say, the private banks, uh, they generate an operating profit of close to maybe 3% of their total assets. So when operating profit is is at uh, 3% of the total assets, the credit provisions typically should not exceed one and a half percent in a normal cycle or maybe through the cycle it should not be exceeding one and a half percent of the total assets because only then you will be making an roa of upwards of one percent so that is how the maths add uh, for the uh, public sector banks because uh, their uh, operating profit is uh, slightly lower closer to 1.8 to 2 percent their maths uh, adds to maybe a credit cost not exceeding 1.2% of their assets. So that is basically the broad maths. Uh, ideally, the credit provision should not be exceeding 1 to 1.5% in a, 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 through the cycle. There can be ups and down. If I have to talk about the NPA numbers, let's say how the NPA numbers should stack. So the Prompt Corrective Action Framework of RBI says uh, the net NPAs should not exceed 6%. So that is the threshold where, let's say, RBI does not want you to cross. But typically, when we look at internally, we look at the uh, net NPA number in relation to the capital of the bank. So when we look at the uh, capital, how much of the capital is, is at risk because the bank has not sufficiently provided its on its NPA. So, when we look at the net NPA number, there is no absolute number in our minds. Uh, A a net NPA number of 3% can be good, whereas net NPA of even 2% can look bad, depending on what capital numbers you are looking at. So, uh, we look at the net NPAs to capital, that number ideally should be less than maybe 25%, provided uh, you are not operating in the unsecured segment. So, maybe 25 to 30% is a good number. to operate on the net NPN, it depending on where you are on the capital. Oh, that was very exciting.
0: And if I have to, you know, have a quick uh, review on the uh, deposit and credit growth. Right. A couple of questions on those. Uh, would the rate of growth for deposits worry you? Because we had uh, well, of course, you know, credit growth is important for the economy. It ties in, you know, directly to how an economy performs, and deposit growth from uh, the work depositors like you and me help fund credit growth, even though that's not the only source for funds for banks. But um, if you look at deposit growth, that has been rather anemic compared to the credit growth we've had. And you know, recently, uh, head of a private bank actually came out and said, we have to fix this, otherwise it can affect credit growth and eventually affect the economic uh, uh, rate of expansion as well. Uh, and we've had viral videos, I don't know how uh, true that is. but. Uh, supposedly a bank branch of issues having megaphones, yeah. addressing commercial centers, saying, you know, please uh, deposit uh, with us. But considering uh, two factors, one is the small savings rates that the government gives tied into the, you know, a certain formula that it has, plus the rate of inflation. So if I'm actually spending more for my tomatoes and onions, uh, you know, logically, I would have less to save uh, either in casa accounts or uh, that is current in savings accounts, or in fixed-term deposits over time. How would you view, given all this, how would you view deposit growth? Would you worry about it right now, considering it's 8%, to probably 9, sitting nine months here
1: on there. Yeah, so too many questions, so I'll take them one by one. Yes, on the deposit growth side, yes, there has been a challenge. Uh, but uh, to be uh, very true, this situation is basically uh, an outcome of how the policy action has been also from the reserve bank you cannot have a, a, a situation where uh, you have a surplus liquidity in the banking system and the rba is also on the rate hiking cycle because then the policy uh, or the rate hike uh, does not get transmitted properly so uh, in a surplus liquidity scenario possibly the rate hikes will not well work so well uh, and what the desire of the uh, the regulator or the RBI is that basically to control the credit growth, control the supply of the money in the economy, that may not work well. Liquidity situation, which is, let's say, uh, closer to a neutral level uh, in a rate hike cycle works well for the transmission of the uh, policy rates, both on the loan side as well as on the deposit side. So that's the some background which I will like to maybe give. And uh, last two years when we had COVID uh, and the rate cut cycle uh, happened, uh, the RBA infused the liquidity into the banking system because they wanted that transmission in terms of a strong uh, maybe a, a credit flow should happen to the economy uh, so that the uh, because of the risk aversion of the uh, bankers, uh, the, the credit uh, uh supply should not get impacted so it's a it's a basically a a, a situation uh, which is warranted based on where uh, we are there in the uh, economic growth or the inflation dynamics today when we are looking at maybe a strong growth uh, and maybe a uh, challenges in terms of inflation maybe it is prudent to keep uh, liquidity tight and which means that banks have to maybe struggle on the uh, deposit mobilization and the deposit rates. So I think uh, we are now getting uh, surely into maybe a comfortable band uh, uh, of inflation, uh, which is uh, the band which is targeted by the Reserve Bank. And I think uh, we are near the uh, rate hike cycle also, which means possibly the the worst of the times in terms of maybe competition for the deposit growth, Has been behind us. That is one. And second, possibly uh, we also expect that the credit growth or the credit demand should moderate in the coming days because of the increase in the interest rate also. So these two factors basically should maybe uh, help the banks to maybe uh, manage this uh, gap between the deposit and credit growth. Uh, because uh, incrementally the uh, liquidity deficit will not widen uh, or reduce the way it has reduced in last maybe six to nine months. And second, the credit growth itself will moderate. So that is on the first point that uh, uh, the situation we have seen the worst of it, but gradually it should not deteriorate further. On the second point where we are, let's say, comparing the uh, bank deposit rates and the competition which possibly it may be getting from the small saving rates uh, on various government schemes so yes uh, there is uh, definitely some sort of a maybe substitution but uh, I will say that uh, uh, today the rates on the small saving uh, after the recent increase have become attractive uh, let's say vis-a-vis a bank deposit but banks have also been let's say Quite a front runner in terms of rate hikes. Many public sector banks are offering um, maybe 8% deposit uh, rates uh, for the senior citizens, uh, which is similar to what uh, uh, the small saving rates uh, schemes are also offering. So that way they are at par. But uh, I think the objective of an investor when he's looking at a bank deposit versus small saving schemes, uh, we need to also understand that uh, these small saving schemes does come up with the element of maybe tax saving or tax deduction. So once you uh, uh, put money into let's say the PPF or NSC or something. So these are certain instruments which are uh, maybe eligible for uh, tax uh, uh, deduction under ATC. So uh, that is one angle. And second, uh, which is a plus point for these small saving schemes. But at the same time, many of these small saving schemes does come with a lock-in so you then end up losing a liquidity so that way the product features of small saving scheme and the bank deposits are slightly different i'll say uh, though the interest rate may appear to be comparable but the uh, demand for the small saving products are also driven by certain other considerations and may not be a right comparison for a bank deposit but yes definitely they do compete with each other and uh, if you look at the small savings, uh, I think, uh, la- despite being linked to a formula, uh, there has been some sort of a lack of a transparency in terms of how the rates have been uh, fixed on these uh, small saving products. And I think it's a time to relook maybe how these, uh, pro- uh, these uh, uh, small saving instruments possibly can be priced more transparently uh, for the small investors. Just
0: one point: the first one that you mentioned, where um, there'll be a tempering. Uh, you said we were, you were to right, you're right, is likely at the end of the rate hike cycle, and that would help uh, narrow the gap between the growth and deposit growth. But you know, as much as like you indicated, banks have been able to pass on the rate hikes into deposit uh, rate increases as well. When the rate cycles, uh, hike cycle ceases and rates start going down, they're as quick in making sure that deposit rates go down. So, which means we'd still be challenged for deposits. So, that was, a, you know, a sub-query that I had to
1: Yeah. So, basically, what we are discussing is that uh, uh, will the bank face challenges in terms of deposit growth uh, when the rate cycle reverses and the banks start cutting the deposit rates? So, uh, uh, the... Uh, Argument will be no, 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 not definitely. And uh, we know that how the deposit growth was uh, driven during the uh, COVID times when uh, despite the record low uh, rates on the deposits, the deposit growth was uh, very good. So how the deposit rate also work will be uh, where we are not only in the domestic interest rate cycle, but possibly also the global interest rate cycle, because Globally, uh, the uh, interest rates do impact uh, the credit demand locally. So, let us say if you look at the last uh, maybe one year, uh, when the uh, US Fed has started increasing the, the policy rates, the cost of borrowing in dollars... Has significantly increased. So, uh, for the Indian corporates, uh, let's say today, if I have to talk about a triple B rated corporate, if it has to borrow, the borrowing rate in dollars will not be less than maybe 7% or so. So, plus, uh, if you are borrowing it for local purposes, you have to add on to the hedging cost also, right? So, uh, what happens is because of the increase in the policy rates in the US, we saw a lot of uh, demand from the ecb market shifting to the banks right so when the uh, the credit growth shifted to banks they witnessed a steep growth in their uh, demand uh, the bank credit demand which in turn led to banks actually struggling for the uh, deposits so tomorrow let's say if us starts cutting the policy rates the demand or the the uh, funding cost in uh, dollar terms for the Corporates who borrow in ECB market could come down. So uh, which means that the credit demand from the Indian banks could come down, which means they have to possibly uh, look at a situation where credit growth is possibly slower than the deposit growth. But at at the end, finally a depositor has what saving options? You go to an equity market, you go to debt market, uh, debt mutual funds, you go to a bank, or you go to a small saving, right? So combination of these all these factors how the various saving products are placed will finally determine how the deposit growth will be in that situation when let's say the policy rates start coming down so I'm not saying that uh the deposit growth will be uh weak or it will be strong uh when the uh, uh rates are uh, like or the policy rates start getting uh maybe cut but it will be very difficult to imagine a scenario where RBI is cutting a policy rate and the liquidity in the banking system is tight uh, because then policy will not work. So a rate cut cycle will be accompanied with a improved liquidity for a better transmission, which means the deposit rates could also come. Got it.
0: And just a quick query on the credit growth. We've been wrestling to it. Could, do you think that the past few months when we've seen every month figures or every fortnight, year-on-year uh, year credit growth has been sort of galloping. It used to be in the low teens or less than that, like 10-11% some time ago. And now we've seen uh, figures of 19% growth and so on. You know, there was a report by one of those large uh, global banks uh, sometime just after September of 2020, was saying, you know, the first half of the fiscal, the credit growth could have was high and it could have been because of inflation and so on. But we still have to watch how the second half of the year goes but if you look at the last nine ten months uh, as an observer of the economy or do you think that we are really there it's not because of any low base effect or inflation structurally strong credit growth has been happening which is an indicator that it's feeding the economy
1: so uh, i i touched upon to this point um, uh, but when i said uh, that lot of demand from the ECB market has shifted locally because right. the cost of borrowing in dollar has gone up. So uh, that is one driver which we believe uh, is the reason why uh, people have shifted to banks, domestic banks. And uh, uh, apart from that, yes, you are right, the inflation which is uh, which has been uh, rolling high. So that is another factor which is basically uh, driving the uh, demand from the... Uh, uh the borrowers uh the inflation level uh supply chain disruption so basically you're stocking more uh, to prevent any outages on your manufacturing co- capacity side uh, so working capital requirements have gone up commodity prices went up so that is also uh basically driving up uh, the uh the uh, borrowing requirements for the corporates because of working capital so these are combination of multiple factors plus we should not forget that we had a very uh, two periods of low credit growth. So we are also looking at a subdued uh, base prior like of FI 21 and a part of FI 22. So uh, these factors are now reflecting in a very strong credit growth for FI 23. We should end up maybe at around 18 to 19 lakh crores of incremental credit flow from banks during current financial year and if i have to tell like or compare this number with the last uh, highest ever credit uh, flow which happened was financially in 2019 which was somewhere close to around 12 lakh crores so from 12 lakh crores we are going to be let's say around 19 lakh crores which is a substantial growth in absolute amount and as well as in the percentage amount so these numbers look good and uh, but nonetheless uh, these uh, factors As I discussed that because of the rate hike um, in the domestic market lending rates and deposit rates have gone up there should be some moderation in terms of credit demand Uh, so from 19 lakh crores what we are projecting is that possibly next year it should moderate to around 15 to 16 lakh crores in absolute amount and in percentage term it should close maybe closer to 12 percent yoy credit growth for the next year so uh, there are few factors which are maybe uh, structural in nature uh, and few factors which could be basically temporary. Uh, if the uh, rate hike cycle in US ends and the dollar rate comes down, possibly we could see a moderation in the or a higher moderation in the domestic rate growth.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Gupta, it's been really delightful having you here. A lot of insights from our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.